0: have been with us. We've moved along pretty steadily. We, uh, we've gotten through about half of the book. And so I'm looking forward to picking up today in chapter 7, 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, I just want to be honest with you, this message this week was just so difficult for me. Not so much in the studying of it or the understanding of it per se, but just putting it together. I just felt like my mind wanted to go in a million directions. And I had so many thoughts and then I I, I I prayed, well maybe I'm supposed to break this thing up into multiple messages, and I didn't feel like that was what the Lord wanted either, so I, I just wrestled, really wrestled all week until last night, and I finally felt like last night I always take Saturday night go upstairs, just get quiet, pray one more time and read over things, and I just felt like last night it finally came together where uh, I wanted to try to go with it with the Lord's help so uh, you pray for me this morning. Like I said, this is one of those difficult messages, uh, but I believe it's it's a message that definitely needs to be heard in our world today and in churches today. And so, the title of my message is "Singleness and Sex in a Sinful Society." That's a mouthful, uh, tongue twister, maybe. But uh, I want to uh, I want to do what I've done the last well, all the time since we started this series, and that is to read this to you. From a bit of a paraphrase, just so you kind of get an easier understanding of what Paul is writing. So this is from the Living Bible, uh, verses 1 through 7. He says, Now about those questions you asked in your last letter, my answer is that if you do not marry, it is good. But usually it is best to be married. Each man having his own wife and each woman having her own husband. Because otherwise you might fall back into sin. The man should give his wife all that is is her right as a married woman, and the wife should do the same for her husband. For a girl who marries no longer has full right to her own body, for her husband then has his rights to it too. And in the same way, the husband no longer has full right to his own body, for it belongs to his wife. So do not refuse these rights to each other. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from the rights of marriage for a limited time so that they can give themselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. I'm not saying you must marry, but you certainly may if you wish. I wish everyone could get along without marrying just as I do, but we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of a husband or wife, and others He gives the gift of being able to stay happily Unmarried. Father, we come to you today, Lord, thanking you again for your word that enables us to be obedient in all areas of our life. And Lord, today may be one that's very difficult for us, not just to understand, but to live out practically. And so I pray today, God, that you will help us to, to know that your ways are always best. And sometimes, Lord, your ways are so different from what we have heard, what we've experienced, what the world tells us. That it, it truly seems strange to even hear. But God, I pray today that we would be hearers of your word and doers of your word. And that, Lord, you would help us to see what sex and marriage uh, is all about in your eyes. And why you created it. And why it is such a beautiful thing. And uh, Lord, to help us to reject the, the ungodly and perverted things that the world has made it be today. Lord, thank you for what you do for us and help me today to bring you honor and glory faithful to your word, and I give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a woman who was in her late 30s and had never been married, and she was getting a bit anxious and apprehensive about ever finding a husband, so she was out on a walk one day and was walking through the woods and decided to sit down under a big tree and just pray about the whole situation, and before long, she had been praying for quite some time, and it began to get dark out, Uh, and as the sun was setting, an owl that was up in the tree... Uh, was aroused and awakened and and let out a very loud whoo and the lady stopped her prayers and looked up and she said "Uh, just anybody lord (laughs) and so maybe maybe you've been in that place where you think am i ever going to find a good man a good woman am i ever going to settle down uh you know now a lot of you in the room are married uh some of you are widowed so we have people of all different backgrounds but i don't want you to tune me out today if you are not single, because we're going to talk about and look at some principles, whether you are single, widowed, divorced, married, all of these things are going to come into play in your Christian life. And like I said, some of these things are going to seem so opposite to the way that the world functions that just hearing me say them is just automatically going to be difficult for you to hear and even think about trying to put into practice. And so. I don't want to say anything to intentionally offend you, but I, I, I'm quite certain that probably some of these things may seem offensive. Uh, and again, I would only ask you to, to look at the Word of God and, and, and weigh your thoughts, your experiences against that. And, you know, if, if there's error on my part, I'm certainly glad to repent of that and confess that I was wrong. But if not, I pray that you will follow the Spirit and, and allow Him to just open your eyes to the truth of, of some things that we're going to talk about um, today in this message. So. Just some things that I I, I picked up on this week as as I went through this study. In the last U.S. Census, all the statistics and different things they collect, the number was 46% of people in America who claim to be single. Now, we define single uh, in this particular instance as never married, widowed, or divorced. So 46%, almost half of the American population, falls into that category. That's around 118 million people in, in the census. What else I thought was interesting was the majority of the single men are 18 to 29 years old, while the majority of the single women are 65 and over. So there's a big difference in the ages between the single ladies and the single men. I just thought that was interesting, and I wanted us to think about that because of the way our culture operates and the way that things happen. That's why I threw those out there. So we come to our text today, and, and every commentator that I've read, uh, everything that I've studied on this chapter, they all say the same thing. This is a very difficult chapter to really outline and understand, and the main thing that makes it hard as you look at it today, as we look at it together, and you just want read it. We have Paul's answers, but we don't have the questions that were asked. And so we almost have to fill in the gaps. Paul's giving answers, but we don't know exactly what was asked in these questions. And so all we can try to do is to ascertain from what we have what might have been asked. And I think a a helpful thing is when we look at Corinth as a city, Right? We've been talking about the church was mostly Gentile, so these folks have come out of all sorts of backgrounds. They weren't mostly Jews, they were mostly Gentiles. When Gentiles have multiple gods, uh, sexual immorality was rampant, Corinth was known. Uh, I, I think the best thing we could probably compare to Corinth to would be our Las Vegas. right? So that kind of city, just known as City City, a lot of immorality, a lot of false worship, just many things taking place there. And we have looked in chapters 5 and 6 about some of that sexual immorality, right? We had read through and there was there was a man in the church, there was an incestuous relationship. I mean, just all sorts of things going on that Paul addressed in chapters 5 and 6 that we looked at. But now we come to chapter 7 and Paul's going to try to get into some positive advice, some good advice. 5 and 6 was correction. This is now teaching us how God intends intimacy and marriage to be. And so... Look at verse one with me. We'll look at verse one and two. He says, "Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman." That's from the New King James Version. I want to read to you uh, verse one from the ESV. I know a lot of you use that, and I still do from time to time. It says, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman." One of the things, if you're using the ESV, that you can notice, it's not like this in the King James, the New King James. But in the ESV, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then you'll see quotation marks, because the translators of that text, the many texts, think that this was the question that was asked. And so Paul is repeating the question before he answers it. So as I said, we don't know exactly what was asked, but this is a good guess at what might have been asked by the Corinthian church to Paul that elicits his response. So if their question was, is it good for a man to not have a sexual relationship with a, with a woman? Now he's going to ask it. Because just like us, the people in Corinth, they swayed to the one of two extremes. And people do that, don't they? We usually go one way or another in extreme. There was one part of the church that said, we're forgiven, so just do whatever you want. We're under grace, we're covered, we're good. When it comes to intimacy, no holds barred. Then there was the other side that was super pious and almost legalistic that said, well, if sex is so bad, we better just never have it. We just better never be intimate whatsoever. And so you have two groups swaying both ways. And I think it's important for us in in the culture we live in to not bypass these things. Because let's be honest, churches get uncomfortable about talking about certain things. Intimacy is one of those things. Money is one of those things. But yet the Bible has so much to say about those topics. And I think we do a disservice to our church and to making disciples, especially in the younger generation when we don't talk about these things. Because they are being discipled. We are being discipled by the Lord. And we are learning from social media, TikTok, television, all these other sources, what Hollywood, what intimacy and marriage in the eyes of the world looks like. And that is a far cry from what God intended to be. Amen. And so if we don't teach the next generation, if we don't start standing on the <laughs> biblical foundation of marriage and intimacy, I believe this is only going to get much, much worse and cause much, much more confusion in the world today. One writer said that sex is the great spiritual battleground of our age. And I would agree with him because it has been so contorted and twisted from what it was intended to be. I wrote this down just so I can keep it in front of my mind as I was studying this week. Man, in his sinful rebellion to flee from God, ends up endlessly looking for things to fill the missing piece that only God can fill. Most often, it's taking things God already created, like intimacy and marriage, and offering those to his creatures, and then we twist and distort them into something else. Man is always attempting to dismiss God by trying to become our own God just some thoughts that I had this week as I thought about this message. And I believe one of the places where that has taken place so much is in intimacy and in marriage. I mean, it was before my time, but I've read a little bit about the 60s and the free love movement and the rise of radical feminism that we see today. And of course now the gender confusion and all of the things that go into that. So this has been a progressive thing in our country. But it didn't start with America, all the way back to Greeks and Romans and even before there was all sorts of sexual immorality and all sorts of things. So this isn't new to us. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And so we're looking at things today that affect us differently as Americans, but they're not different in the sense that they never existed until 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, But here's just an example of where we are at culturally. I'm sure you know many of these things, but this is kind of the mindset, if you will, of, of some of the culture today. There's a, a professor and a psychologist named Elizabeth Brake. She wrote about 10 years ago now, so I'm sure it's, it's changed even more. A book called Minimizing Marriage. And here's a quote from this book that, that this Brake wrote. Quote, Minimizing marriage allows individuals to select from the rights and responsibilities exchanged within marriage and exchange them with whomever they want. Rather than exchanging a predefined bundle of rights and responsibilities with one, only one amatory partner, the central idea is that individuals can have legal marital relationships with more than one person, reciprocally or asymmetrically, themselves determining the sex and number of parties, the type of relationship involved, and which rights and responsibilities to exchange with each other. Basically, in a nutshell, she's saying we want the, the legal protection afforded to a marriage. But we don't want any types of boundaries, moral or otherwise, inside of that marriage. So we can, you know, we could basically say, um, "Do you, do you?" In the eyes of the state, we're married, and off we go. We can skip the vows. We can skip the ring. We can skip all that stuff because there is no ultimate covenant relationship between those two people. They are free to share whatever they want to share with partners, themselves, or out, out them. And I mean, at that point, guys, the entire institution of marriage has collapsed. The entire concept of marriage, at least biblical marriage, no longer exists. But that's not just some fringe ideology. Uh, Maybe it's a bit extreme in her case. But marriage is definitely not seen with the value that it once was. It's not even seen with the importance. I hear so many people say, well, it's just a piece of paper. I hope that it's much more than that. I hope that it's much more than entering into something where you're just bound by a piece of paper. Because the Bible says that something much greater takes place when two become one. And so I want us to think about intimacy today. And I want us to think about marriage today. And I want us to think about Christianity today. And how that sets us apart. Listen, if you want to have religion and the world too, you picked the wrong faith. Because Christianity doesn't afford you the privilege of saying, well, on Sundays I will be religious, and the rest of the week I'll live like the Lord. The Bible describes people like that, but not in salvific, salvific terms. It just doesn't. It says you're deceived, and you don't understand the truth yet. And we want you to understand the truth. I'm not saying that by living a moral, biblical marriage saves you. I'm saying as a Christian, you ought to desire to marriage biblical marital of life, and not use sex as a means to an end. And so, when you think about it in our world today, I've talked in my life many times about this, uh, especially having a child of my own, it is so commonplace in our society today for people to simply cohabitate, that it almost seems strange if someone doesn't. I've had people say, well, if you don't live together, you can't get to know that person and, and, and all sorts of things. I talk about the statistics that say, you know, there is no improvement in the marriage divorce rates just simply because you live together. That's just a fallacy, you know. Um, if anything, it just teaches you to lower the standards and accept things that aren't normally accepted. And so when we think about what marriage is supposed to be in God's eyes today, I want us to look at a few things here. I want us to think about what the world says, because if you're going to leave this building today... And you're going to go back out into the world, and you're going to be bombarded with all those thoughts, whether it's on social media, on television, or in real life. You're going to face these things, and we need to be able to face them with grace, and we need to be able to face them with love, and not belittle people, and look down on people if they're not living as the Word of God says, because if we're honest, you, all of us at times fall short, right? We may have a great marriage, but we're falling short somewhere else, so we're not here today, I'm not here today to cast any stone, but I am here today to try to help you, because this is such an important area that can bless your life for many years to come or cause heartache for the rest of your life. And so I think it's important that we get this right, not just for us, but for our kids and ah. our kids, too. I think we've got to start being afraid to address this topic. Mm. It shouldn't be taboo. I've counseled so many young people, and, and one of the things is they're petrified to think about their honeymoon now because nobody's ever really talked to them about intimacy. And the church is great about preaching purity culture and abstinence and celibacy. But we don't we we almost make them so afraid of intimacy. And so shamed by the thought of it, that that all of it becomes bad. I think in our attempt to make them understand what sex should not be, we push them away from any of it. And we don't teach them that it is a beautiful thing created between a man and a woman who are going to be joined together forever. And there's no need to be shamed or embarrassed about it. It's something that we should be openly able to discuss and talk about, but to keep it biblical when we talk about it. And so the culture today says things like, my body, my choice. Keep your religion out of my bedroom. God just wants me to be happy. It doesn't matter. Love is love. He just wants me to be happy. We hear those things day in and day out. And I will I will say this wholeheartedly. Your kids and grandkids may not come out and tell you this because they don't want to upset you or they want to tell you what you think you want to hear. But the majority of kids growing up in church agree with the statements that I just read. They do, because that's all they hear, and we don't talk about the other side of it enough. And so, even if they don't necessarily agree with it, they're confused about why is it wrong for someone to love the same sex? Why is it wrong for two people that love and eventually plan to get married anyway to live together? They can't answer those questions, and the culture says... There's nothing wrong with it. That old antiquated teaching of the church is just trying to keep you unhappy and keep you under their thumb. Don't listen to it. And if we don't give them the right answers, they're eventually going to cave into what the world is telling them. see it over and over, and I'm sure you do too. So how do we handle these things? So what do, we, what do we say? Why does God care who I sleep with? All the things that are going on in the world, you're telling me he's worried about that? Why? Why does it matter to God and why should it matter to us? Church, we need to be able to answer that. We need to be able to have those discussions with the next generation Amen. or else we are going to lose them to the sexual culture that is just swallowing up this next generation. So I just want to say some things again. I know this will not be politically correct and it might not be even popular here. That's okay. I believe with all my heart. I pray that it's biblical. And so that's where I'm going to go with it. Um, so one of these things is in our society today, Sex has become nothing else than a gratification. It is just a physical act for most, for most people, especially for most people outside of Christ. It's just, a, it's just a means to an end, to satisfy a desire. People have lost their value, and I believe one of the reasons that that has happened is for so many years, schools and universities and institutions have taught us that we are nothing more than evolved primates, that through the course of evolution, we are just a little bit higher up on the food chain but we have no more value than the animals that are out there. And if that is the case, then of course we would indulge ourselves in any self gratification and pleasure that we could find because the ultimate purpose of life is to get as much as you can, to satisfy yourself as much as you can, to die healthy and wealthy and rich and prosperous and leave a legacy and pass that on. If this is all there is, then why does morality matter? Why should I care who I hurt on my way to the top? It's just survival of the fittest. If I'm just an animal and in the animal kingdom, The strong live and the weak die, then so be it. Why should I worry about my neighbor? I just want to advance myself and my prodigy. And we see that in our society. We see a devaluation of human life. We wouldn't have a need for sidewalk advocacy. We wouldn't have a need for pregnancy centers if life was valued. But because life can so easily be discarded, we have to have laws or try to have laws passed and centers and folks out there defending life because the value of it, even the definition of it, has become so distorted and so twisted today that we can't make a firm definition of what it means and why it matters. And listen, the argument always arises when it comes to the topic of abortion. Well, what about rape? And what about incest? Well, what about the 98.5% that aren't because of those cases? Can we sit down and have a conversation that the overwhelming majority of children that are murdered in the womb are murdered for convenience sake? It's not anything else. It's not medical emergencies. It's not rape. It's not incest. And so until we can be honest and open and have that kind of conversation about the real reality of why abortion is necessary, it is, for the most part, two people going out and in the moment making an emotional, physical choice to gratify themselves in the heat of the moment, doing something, and then the next day regretting what they did and making the child. That's ultimately, I knew there might not be a lot of amens, but I don't think you can say that wrong. It's a reality. Listen, not every not every Sunday is Joe Louis Sunday. Some of them are terrifying. It's tough. It's uncomfortable. As uncomfortable and awkward as it is for you to sit out there and hear this, it's doubly hard for me to say it. But I'm telling you that this is where we live at today. And if we don't start addressing it, it's not going to get go. any better. we're not going to see any change if we power down in fear. I'd much rather preach on something else today. But this is where we're at. And I'm going to try my best to give you what I feel like we need to hear from this text. So we've got to understand that the result of why we are facing Roe versus Wade and 60-plus million abortions just in this country alone is the fact that we live in a culture that wants to gratify itself through sex and then not have any responsibility afterwards. And we have got to begin to teach the value Not to say that all sex is bad and you should never talk about it. You should be embarrassed about it and ashamed about it. But that you should have conversations, biblical conversations, and ask your questions. And understand why it matters. And understand why life matters. So that when situations arise, when kids are caught in situations where, because listen, even the best of children raised in godly homes can go out and make wrong decisions. Listen, the pastor's kids can and do get pregnant <clears throat> outside of marriage. And when that happens, the pastor's kids need the same grace that I hope your kids will get for you. Right? They need it. They need it. They made a mistake. And if the church turns their noses up at them and shames them, I've said it many times, and I've said this in sermons I've preached, I wonder, it caused me to tremble, but I wonder how many children were pushed to Planned Parenthood because of the frowns of the church. I don't know. I can't answer that question, but I would only say that it has happened. More often, we want to admit shame on us. But all of us, we should repent if we haven't shown the love and grace to people who have sinned and drive them away. And so, we've got to deal with this differently. We've got to show them what intimacy really is. And and I'll take it. If I haven't upset you enough, this will really get it. it The
1: rest of the way. Here we go.
0: Dating, as we see in American culture, is not living. There is not a verse from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 that talks about dating in the sense that we do it in the American culture. Because and Bonnie Bacham has produced many methods on this, so I'm not going to plagiarize him, but I'm going to quote him parenthetically and say that he has said it many times. Modern American dating is just divorce practice. Because what you do is you walk in and you survey the scene, and you pick out three or four prospects based on primarily their looks. And let's be honest, looks are probably the first thing we're going to see, right? And so, after we get the ones picked out that are attractive to us, then we go straight from the physical into the emotional, right? And so, we we may we may see that, especially for the boys, and I'll pick on the boys and the young men. You know, there's usually one thing on their mind. Mm-hmm. Not to say that the women never have that on their mind either, but the women fall quicker emotionally, mm-hmm. whereas. Guys are just looking for the physical. And when the guys get the physical, that makes the woman more emotionally tied. But the men never had an emotional tie. And so the men leave, and then the girls are emotionally distraught. And to help ease the pain of their emotion, they seek out someone else for the physical thinking that's going to help the emotional, and it is a cycle that never ends. And that's why we see so many people today just indulging in these relationships, these one-night stands, these swipe right on Tinder just to hook up for the evening kind of relationships. And guys, and girls, women, boys, girls of any age, I'm telling you, that that is again the result of a culture that has forsaken God's plan for marriage and intimacy. And we are seeing it play out with drastic consequences. As a society, we just are. People aren't getting married. If they are, they're getting married much later in life. They're not having children like they used to. Um, Any society to survive, here's a a troubling statistic. Any society to just maintain, not increase, but just maintain its populace is 2.2 children per family. The current and drastically dropping number of Americans is 1.6. What that means is our country is in decline. But yet, the population of America is growing. How is that? Somebody said it. Somebody said it. Right? When you have open doors, people will come in. Sometimes the people that you don't want to come in will come in. And and that is the result of where we're at. And again, I say that because not only is it changing our country, but it is changing our culture. And not only are Christians having far less children, but many other religions, especially Muslims, are having drastically more. So much so that by 2050, many countries in the world will become predominantly Muslim. And the difference is, you don't get a choice in Islam. You are born into the faith. Christianity is a decision that you must make and if we don't get serious about training up our children to understand who the Lord is and making church a priority if we're only having 1.6 children to begin with and of them 1.6 we don't take any time to teach them about Jesus On a very small 6. percentage of that 1.6 is going to actually ever hear about 6. him or come to know him it's just, just to point the 0.6 of you person. or it will become a minority in this country and certainly in the world those are just statistics guys that doesn't take, that's that's not even the Bible. That's just reality of where we are at in our world. And I'm not saying all these things to discourage you or try to make you lose hope. I'm trying to show you the seriousness about how all of these things tie in together if we don't get serious about showing the next generation what godly marriage, godly love, godly intimacy really looks like. And this idea that we just go out and date just for fun, just to, just to do something, just to do it. Listen, the Bible doesn't know anything about it. If you're not ready to enter into a lifelong relationship and get married and start a family, you're not ready to date. Amen. Somebody should be what age, what age should, I, should I let my kids date? That's, that's my biblical answer. When they are ready to settle down with one person, not shop around, test the waters, kick the tires... Settle down with somebody for life. I think they're ready to date. So to speak. Court might be the better word to enter into. That is the biblical idea. Again, so far removed from the culture that you just hear me say that. Saying like, you think I'm not going to let my kids that? My kids aren't going to listen to that. Body? Listen, you're their parents. They don't, I've said it before, they don't get a vote. If they're in your house, they don't get a vote. They have a voice. They always have a voice. They should be able to speak and say anything they want to say. But just because they said it, just because they want it, doesn't mean that they get it. We need to learn about it. Because in our, in our efforts to make sure, and every, every parent does this, I don't want my kids to go without. I don't want my kids to not have the things that I didn't have. But we have indulged them so much that we have created a society now that expects everything to just be given to them. And if any sign of difficulty in life, they can't handle it. Listen, I'm not. I'm not making fun of things. I'm just saying things today that you already know is true. But not so long ago, I like think it was that long ago. I was in high school, and if I went to high school and I went to my teacher and my classmates and said, "I'm having a rough day. Can I go down to the safe space for a little while?" You know what would happen to me? <laughs> and I'm listen. I am no shape form. I am not. I, I am not trying to belittle kids or the mental problems and things. Because it is a result of a mess that we have allowed to take place. I'm not saying these kids aren't facing these things. They are. But the reason they're facing them is because we haven't trained them on how to really handle stuff. Because life is not easy, and you can't legislate life into being easy or fair. And if we send them out into the world and we taught them that they get everything they want when they want it, all they got to do is call mom and dad and we'll bail you out anytime you need us, man, you are going to be on the hook for the rest of your life. Parents and grandparents are never going to be off the hook, number one, and they are never going to be able to function individually and freely in society. We have got to change this, church. We have got to start making a difference in these things. And it starts with us, the way that we parent way that we teach, the, the priorities that we have, and all these things matter. It breaks my heart because I know George Mello, you guys teach this all the time, and I, I, I don't say that falls on deaf ears, but I know that you are pushing back against such a wall of culture that it feels almost impossible sometimes to do this, but just look at what entertains us today, and, and it only continues to grow worse, but, but shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and Mari Povich got... You know, we've, we've slept with so many people, we got to have a paternity test to try to figure out who the mother is. And we all sit around and we're entertained by that. That ought to cause us to weep, to see a guy or a girl going to room with yeah, 24 other men and women and, and just to saying. test again. Yeah. You're just, I like that one, don't know about that one, maybe we'll spend the night together and see how this one works out. That's not, that's ungodly. That's sinful. And we're calling it entertainment, putting it on prime time television. And when the kids walk in and they see us watching that, what do they think? It's no big deal. You know, don't talk to me about dating. You just watched The Bachelorette for three hours. You see, we have got to set a precedent at some point or we are going to continue down this slippery slope that has no end. And, and so I think that, you know, some things that I wrote down, and I, again, I think that you agree with me on this. Number one, we've we created a culture of porn-addictive boys and only girls. That's where we're at. I, I was—I didn't even bring them out this morning. The statistics of, the, of the, 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 the dollar figures of the porn industry and the amount of new subscribers and the growth of OnlyFans with mostly women. It's—it's it's staggering to me how much these things are taking off and how people will put their bodies out on the internet just to make some money because they see no value in themselves. We have—we have told girls that if you don't look a certain way and have a certain weight that you're not valuable. I see young women ending their lives because they didn't like their bodies. It's tragic. You're so much more than your body. You have value that goes beyond what the scale says or what some, some obsessed boy says about you. And yet, girls think today that that's all that matters. And boys think that girls just exist for what they can get out of them. Men, we need to teach boys respect Amen. and dignity and value and how you honor a woman. You don't treat them as an object. You don't use them to get what you want. We have lost that teaching in our culture. and We have got to get it back. Amen. We have got to start again. You say, Pastor, how do we do that? Well, real quick, because I don't want to keep you long. Mm-hmm. But I want to give you a few things just to think about. How do we stand up on these things? What can we do to make a difference and start to see a change. Number one is this. We need to affirm the God-ordained institution of marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Again, we do it with love and we do it with grace. I'm not out today after church with a megaphone on the corner screaming down anybody that is living in a homosexual lifestyle. That's not going to win anybody to Christ. It's not going to help anybody. But I am not not going to continue to, to take steps back and the church cower back to stand on what the Bible says we need to stand on. Marriage is not a civil thought. It is a God thought. It is a spiritual union. Yes, the state recognizes it. But we enter into a covenant relationship before God. And because it was His idea, He gets to dictate the rules and regulations of it. I don't care what laws are passed, changed, or amended. There's one law that never changed, and that is what I just learned. we put it on the screen for you so you don't think I made it up. Genesis 2.24. There it is, right there. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I don't care, if, again, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to be honest. I don't care what society tells you. Men can't have babies. The only way that you have a baby is for an XY chromosome, which is a man, and an XX chromosome, which is a woman, to come together, and the two become one flesh. And a child is a unique new life, where the man and the woman have come together as one and created something new. Blessed and ordained by God. And that should be sacred. It should be honored. It shouldn't be something that we just go and play around with, and then we say, oops, you're pregnant? Well... Now, to Planned Parenthood, we better go. Oh, look, there's those obnoxious people out in front of Planned Parenthood to try to pray with me and talk to me every Saturday morning. Let's sneak around the back door so that we don't have to talk to them. Let's not put ourselves in this situation. Let's honor our bodies. Let's serve the Lord. Let's respect one another and say, if I really love this person, I can wait until our marriage time because it matters. I want to honor that person. I want to love that person. And again, if, and I'm not naive. I know that the majority of people in this room have already missed the mark on this. If you have, there is grace for you. You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. You haven't done something so awful and so terrible that God doesn't love you anymore and that the church can't accept you anymore and that there's not forgiveness for you. I'm not at all saying that. The Bible's not saying that. But you can start today. You can't change the past. i got a lot of things in my past that I wish I could change. You can't change them, but they're certainly washed under the blood. The, uh, he the only thing that keeps you in bondage is when you continue to repeat the sins and mistakes that you make. <laughs> but you can resolve today and say, hey, we didn't get it right up until January 7th of 2024, but we can get it right on the God, I need your help. And it's as simple as that. And the church will celebrate with you, and the angels in heaven will rejoice with you, and we really follow But if we continue to just brush it aside and say, well, that's too little, too light, might wrong to worry now, then nothing changes. But we do teach the next generation to be just like us, for better or for worse. We need to affirm this God-ordained institution. Number two, we need to reject the cultural concept of dating or a biblical concept of courting for a spouse. You will be the most unpopular parent that ever walked the earth. Do it. Please Amen. do it. And tell your kids, listen, you're not going to go out with that person and run around who knows where who knows what you're not ready for that you're not ready for that here here let me again another great example of body pocket this is not my illustration this is his suppose that you worked all your life very hard saved up your money and bought a 250000 dollars parked it out front of your house waxed it up cleaned it up beautiful car just got it. and some 16 <laughs> year old boy comes over to your house and he says Mr. So and so that is a amazing car. Can I go ahead and take that out tonight? And you say, sure, have it back at my eleven and throw him the keys. And Would you allow that to happen? Of course not. But yet we don't think anything about letting our 16-year-old daughters go out with those kids. Is a Lamborghini more valuable than our daughters? But yet we treat it as though it is. You see, we have got to get beyond the idea that dating is normal because everybody's doing it. I found the older I get, the longer I walk the Lord. Most things that everybody's doing are exactly opposite of what God wants. I, I, I pretty much I pretty much decided anytime I stand for something biblical, I'm gonna be in the minority. Even amongst Christians. Even among Christians, I'm gonna be in the minority if I really stand. I'm, you're gonna be so radical. We're called radical today for just being normal Christians. You know? But so be it. We have got to reject this cultural idea of not just but a lot of things. Number three, we need to view sex as a beautiful gift of God to be enjoyed only within the marriage covenant. Look at Hebrews 13.4. What's it say in that verse? Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed of the fire, but fornication and adultery is will will. judge. He takes it serious. It's not just about going out and having relations with somebody you love. It's much deeper than that. God wants that to be a, a ceiling, if you will, of the relationship. And when you just give yourself away, you cheapen not only yourself, but other people. Other people that are made in the image of God. Do we not realize the value of one another? When you look around this room and you see people, everyone in this room is valuable. You may have listened to the lies today and said, nobody loves me. I'm not worth anything. The world would be better off without me in it. Those are lies from the enemy. You matter. God created you in his image and you have purpose and value. But society has so diminished that that you are just some evolutionary product and it doesn't matter who you sleep with and it doesn't matter what you do. Just go out and live your life. Or if you don't like your life, just end it and get it over What a tragic way to be taught when there's so much better and so much more. Number four, we need to learn to flee sexual immorality at any cost. Because we have the honor to honor people as image bearers of God. not 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us, we need to do that very thing. It says, the sexual uh, immorality, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We need to flee these things. And we are so immersed in sex, in this culture, that it is hard to get away from it. I know that sometimes another touching topic in church is dress. This church has never been, I have never been a pastor that says you are required to wear suits and ties and dresses that drag the ground to come in here. I've never been that person, and I don't believe that being legalistic about dress is going to make anybody any more holy or attract more people to Christ. But I do say that for 165 hours a week, out there, 167 hours. I have to walk around like this or like this because there's so much stuff that you don't want to see that you're constantly trying to guard your eyes because listen everybody from the pastor on down is tempted and when you see things you shouldn't be seeing, sometimes it gets in here and you think on it longer than you should and so you have to guard your eyes all the time but the one place I would like to come into and not have to walk around like this Is (laughs) is sure <laughs> That is no attack on any individual. So if you think I'm calling out somebody individual, maybe the shoe fits, but I'm not calling anybody out by name, never, okay. do. never so I'm just churches. making a biblical statement. You should honor your bodies. Don't don't leave, leave something to the imagination. Right? Leave something for the marriage night. Because you are going to attract certain things, certain people, by the way, that you do certain things. And I can tell you, that especially girls, if you're attracting guys with that, you're not probably going to get the kind of guys that you think. You're not going to find your knight in shining armor and your French charm by walking around with all of sorts of stuff hanging out. But you should be hanging out. Because they're after one thing. And when they get it, you will be emotionally destroyed and they will be along someone else. And that's what we're having in society. So I say that out of love. I say that because I don't want you to be another statistic. I don't want you to be another teen mom. I don't want you to end up being bullied, cyber bullied where you want to take your life because these boys have sent pictures out that you put out that you shouldn't. And all kinds of stuff. And you guys know this happens all the time. But we're not doing anything about it. It's time for the church to take a stand and say, We love you and we want to help you. And that means having hard conversations. It just does. Last one, I'm done. <laughs> husbands love your wives. Ephesians 5.25. Wives submit to your husbands. Ephesians 5.22. Oh Children obey your parents. Ephesians 6.1. Parents instruct your kids. Ephesians 6.4. It's a clear biblical precept. Kids are submissive to the parents. Wives submit to the husband. Husbands submit to Christ. You say, man, that's antiquated. I'm, I am woman, hear me roar. Ain't no man going to tell me what to do. Yeah. And listen, men have taken this and abused it and done things and treated women like slaves and objects. Shame Shameless. That's not what this command is about at all. It is the, the very verse tells you husbands love your wives as. Christ loves the church. If you love your wife like Christ loved the like church, the last thing, men, that you would ever do is abuse her, mistreat her, or use her as an object. You won't. Because Christ would never do that of his pride. How can you do it to yours? And so, ladies, when you find a godly man that loves you and honors you and respects you like Christ does the church, it should be easy to submit to someone. Like that doesn't mean that you have no say. That doesn't mean that the ladies are never right. My wife, I'm going to say it right now. It. My wife is right far more often than I am. I'm not saying oh. that. Right. There has many times when I do it my way. Uh, he didn't right actually rat and say, you are say right. anything better about you are right. it. I did it. I did it my way, and you were right. I uh, did. So, amen. Me and Dave agree at least. <laughs> but listen, at the end of the day, wives. God gave that to Adam as a helper. I need my wife. I can't do much of anything without my wife. It's a blessing and an honor to have someone that loves you and cares for you. If you've got that, don't ever take it for granted. And don't ever abuse it. And kids, young people, understand. Parents are going to get on your last nerve. They're going to drive you insane you're going to say, I can't wait to get out of this house. I can't wait until I don't have to listen to you anymore. I can tell you, we said it, your parents said it, their grandparents said it, but I'm telling you that they love you and they care about you. Their job is to not make life on you difficult, although it seems like that sometimes, but I can promise you they are trying to spare you from the miseries and the troubles that they went through and that they can see you going through if you don't listen. And as much as, as much again, especially if you're a Christian teenager or a Christian young adult. As difficult as it's going to be to be so different from your friends, what do you mean you can't date? What do you mean you can't stay out late? What do you mean you can't have a boy over and go up? Yes, I get it. It's going to be radically different than what the world is. But aren't you supposed to be radically different as a believer? Listen, when you said to Christ, I need you, he didn't just give you a get out of hell ticket, see you 30, 40, 60, 80 years from now when you get to heaven. You surrendered your life to Him. We talked about last week being a disciple. That means more than just believing in Jesus and I'll see you when I get to heaven. That's following Him all of your life. That means, listen, you lay down your rights. You're not your own. You've been bought with the cross. If you came to Jesus, that means that you die. When we baptize people, when you see that, that is a picture of what is supposed to have happened in your life, buried with Him to rise to walk in newness of life. You hear me say that every baptism—that's not what the water does. That's what the blood did. That's what happened when you met Christ. And so we've got to understand, Church, that this is a serious thing. I believe this is the subject of the day for us: is is the renewal of the family and marriage. A biblical concept of enlist. We can't afford another generation to not get this. We are going to lose our families and the next generation if we don't write this shit. Yeah. We are. We are. I don't believe it's too late, but it's got to start with us. And I believe it starts with us on our faces saying we've fallen short. Not trying to guilt you again today. I'm trying to get you to honestly confess and say, I am part of the problem, but I want to be part of the solution. I want to show the world, my family, my school, what a godly relationship really is. And that starts in the home. I can't do it here at the church. I don't, I don't have enough time with you to fix your family. But you can fix your family with the help of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're married today, listen, I'm done, I promise. Ooh, that's but I'm going to say this, and then I am done, I promise. There are too many marriages that after some time just settle into existing. I think that you still love each other, but you are just going through the motions. And your kids can see that, and other people can see that. And you've just settled into that complacency. You've got to fight for your marriage. You've got to fight to continue to keep the love and the, the desire there. That doesn't just happen. Our text today talked about not being apart, sexually speaking, unless you both agree on that. Listen, I'm not here to ask you today all the ins and outs of your marriage, but I am here to say if your marriage is not where it needs to be, don't put that off another day. You have got to get your house in order today. And so, we give this invitation. I'm simply asking you, are you where you need to be in your walk with Christ? As a single? As a as a married person, as a widow, as a divorced person, your family reflects your values. Do you like what you see? Do you like what other people see? If you don't, today is the day you do something about it. Today is the day you let Jesus do something about it. But you're going to have to admit it. You're going to have to humble yourself enough to say, this is broken. But it's not broke beyond the fixing of the law. I'm going to come today. And with his help, I'm going to get it right. And I'm going to impact my kids and their kids. By taking this step today Father we come to you just asking you to help us Lord In this difficult message To work in hearts and lives Lord To help us to fight for our marriages To fight for our kids To fight for their futures To fight for the generations down the road Lord That need to understand What you have done and why it matters And how beautiful intimacy and marriage Really is when it's done right It is so much better than anything the world can offer So much better than anything we can see on a screen Or watch on a television program God, the true love found in Christ transcends everything else that we could ever imagine. And so today, Lord, I pray for the single that is struggling in this sex-obsessed culture to try to stay pure. Help them, Lord. I pray for the husband and wife that have grown distant, that today they would sit down and have a conversation and hold hands again and love one another again and spend time with one another again and tell the boss, no, I'm not working Saturday. I'm going to come home and be with my family. God, that we will work together so that our kids can see that marriage matters to us and it ought to Lord, help us today to hear your voice and respond in faith. And I give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand in that saying, we got folks